Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm in the studio with Andy Green, and we're going to be talking about the 2019 class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which includes Janet Jackson, Stevie Nicks, The Cure, Def Leppard, Radiohead, Roxy Music, and The Zombies. If they all jammed together, that would be a very strange-sounding jam. I do not think that is going to happen, Andy. Yeah, I can't see a all-star jam happening. It would be pretty weird. The one that more than one person has hoped for is uh, specifically like Janet Jackson with Def Leppard would work really well. You know, I'm Black Cat, maybe. I think that'd be sick. I did ask the zombies about a possible all-star jam and they thought the Beatles song, I saw her standing there, would possibly work, but I can't quite see that myself. I think they're aware that that's what an all-star jam was at the Hall of Fame like 20 years ago. Yeah. But I don't, I mean, sure. I mean, I guess. Can you imagine like Tom York popping his head and being like, I saw you standing there? That would be the greatest thing that ever happened. I can't. But then Joe Elliott, he said that they could do all the young dudes, that the one thing that they might have in common is David Bowie. Huh. Uh, So not Janet as much, but the bands, because it's a strange year. It's five British rock bands. The bands, yeah. And Stevie Nicks, I've never heard her talk about David Bowie. No, but the bands. I think that they could do a Bowie song, maybe. Sure, that would be, yeah. And then Janet uh, could join in and Stevie. I don't know. I think the All-Star Jam, you know, I think it's it's a thing now where it happens some years and, and not well, others. Well, if they managed to merge Public Enemy and Rush, then you could do anything, maybe. I guess, but that wasn't as weird as it, I and mean, that was a beautiful moment. I love that. That was like my, you know, my 1991 uh, stereo coming to life all at once. Uh, but... I think that that actually wasn't as weird as it might think, given people's history of sampling Rush and stuff. So of course, you're, of course. you're right, though. We'll see. I, I hope that would be really cool. Um, and I hope Radiohead shows up. We'll, let's get into that for a second. Yeah, I, I think that there's always one big lingering question around each Hall of Fame ceremony. And this year is Radiohead. Are they going to come? Are they going to boycott? Are some going to come? Are they going to play? It's a big issue. I did a cover story on them last year, and I asked all five members about this, and uh, which... I saw Tom York's face at the very mention of the Hall of Fame, and it contorted into pure just disgust and contempt, and he was like, please don't ask me about this. <laughs> well, let's go through what uh, what each of them said to you. And I, yes, at the time, I thought it was a little amusing that you asked each member of Radiohead, <laughs> but it's now paid off. Thank uh, you. Well done, Andy. Uh, it's a bit like having the free bus pass in the UK when you reach a certain age. Uh, that's what the drummer Phil Selway told you. Blimey just to emphasize the, the first part, I guess. Have we got to that point? God knows if we'll attend. Uh, we'll, we'd have to sit down and talk about it, but it's probably not at the top of my list of things to do. But who knows? I don't know. Johnny Greenwood said, I don't care. Maybe it's a cultural thing that I don't really understand. I mean, from the outside, it looks like it's quite a self-regarding profession anyway. Anything that heightens that just makes me feel even more uncomfortable. And Ed O'Brien said, I don't want to be rude about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because for a lot of people, it means something. But culturally... I don't understand it. I think it might be a quintessential American thing. Brits are not very good at slapping ourselves on the back. It seems very showbiz, and I'm not very showbiz. We haven't even been asked yet. They were now. I don't want to be rude, but if you ask me what I'd rather be doing that night, I'd rather be sitting at home in front of the fire or going to a gig. And Tom just said, it wouldn't be the first place. And then he like stopped and he said, don't ask me things like that. I always put my foot in my mouth. And then they put out a statement when they got in the Hall of Fame. The members of Radiohead have been surprised to learn of the band's induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 2019. The band thanks the Hall of Fame voting body 
and extends congratulations to this year's fellow inductees. You can just feel the excitement. It, it's, but, it, it's burning with excitement. But by just doing that brief statement, they have done more than Mark Knopfler did for the entire Dire Straits thing. <laughs> they acknowledged it. It turns out Mark Knopfler is more of a, of, of a rebel than Radiohead. Yeah, it's weird. But I would say that there's a certain British understatement to the i don't know i it could be you could read too much into it but it, it reads a little bit like fuck off i don't know yeah it's very hard to read it's hard to imagine tom york in a tuxedo playing creep or something at the barclays center while def leppard are watching it just seems <laughs> not very radio heady but at the same time i'm not sure that they're going to want to be seen as sourpusses and they must love the cure and they must love roxy music and they're both going to be there. So it, that might help sweeten the pot. That's actually a really good point. It's not like, I don't know who Radiohead's worst fear of being inducted with. It's probably some kind of 70s butt rock kind of thing, like a bunch of rednecks. Being like, yeah, you know? like, like, like Fog Hat or <laughs> yeah, something. Fog, y'all did great with y'all's career. And then they're <laughs> yeah. just like, then they're really terrified. But I, yeah, no, I, I think the fact that it's, you know, there's some artsy Brits there. Might push in in the direction. I still, but like you, I have trouble picturing this. I really do. I can't picture it, but I think that they might just think it's the path of least resistance to just go and do it and not be seen as ungrateful and just be like, you know, screw it, fine, let's just go. I would bet they probably haven't decided. Yeah, and I would guess that's going to come down to Tom. Because you can read Colin's quote. It's, It's like Colin's quote was the funniest one. He said he was into it. (laughs) <laughs> I missed that one. Yeah. So, okay. So maybe, so Colin's going to be lobbying for it. I mean, Radiohead's relationship to rock and roll has obviously been a, a very fraught one. They also reacted very poorly when you suggested that they were a rock band. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically, it's like everything they've done in the 2000s, as you joked earlier off the air, it's been to avoid this, to not be inducted <laughs> through the Rock and Roll of Fame. <laughs> right. They did their best to become weird enough that they wouldn't get these kind of honors and not be seen this way. But I think it's, you know, there's no uh, discounting the brilliance of of their work uh, in this decade. And at the same time, a lot of the stuff that seemed at the time, you know, like, wow, this is weird, doesn't seem weird anymore, I don't think. Yeah, what's so funny, on the Amnesiac Tour, when they played songs off of Kid A, it was very quiet in the arena and the bros were so bored but they play those same songs now and the bros go crazy so you just have to wait for the next generation of bros yes basically and then then the older bros got used to it and then it just kind of it all just kind of worked out yes so it's it's a weird thing i mean i haven't seen anyone say of course they belong in there and and you know i would say all, all these people belong in there i think one of the this is a class that I think people in general have had less beef with than usual. Yeah, it's a really good class because they've had some shitty ones in the past few years. They had this year that was just Chicago and Steve Miller <laughs> and Cheap Trick, who I love, but it was just... This weird Larry the Cable Guy got in that year. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even understand. He doesn't even sing, but yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, it was just... It was just they've had some years that didn't quite work where it was all people who've been passed over 6,000 times. And it was like no 80s because a big frustration is the Smiths don't get in and Depeche Mode don't get in. And these awesome British groups out of the 80s just get ignored every time. So the cure now are finally in. Part of it is the the Rock Hall has been public, and we're going to be talking with uh, Joel Parisman, the the uh, the head of the hall, and later in this show. But the hall has made active efforts to get a younger and diverse voting base. Yes, yes, which has been crucial because if you interview Steve Van Zant or something, he starts talking about Paul Revere and the Raiders, and sort of like these fourth tier '60s groups that he cares about. 
I have to say, Paul yeah. Revere and the Raiders had to listen to them for a recent project they worked on. Yeah. I'm starting to see his point, but okay. yeah, but I, I, but I see your point as I, well. Yeah. If you don't make it in on your first 30 times when you could be in, you should maybe they should move on to the 80s and the 90s. I think the 60s have been mined to death. You can do both as the zombie show. You can have oh, yeah. you, you can have one or two or three each year. I think there's enough 60s groups alone that yeah. haven't gotten in that you could have those spicing the inductions okay. for some time I'll, to come. I'll say this: I love the zombies and they deserve to be in but i hope that they are the last british invasion group that gets in i think they've done it they've done the important ones it's time to move on i don't know there must be a couple did the animals get in Yes, a long okay. time ago. All right, good. I don't know. I don't know if the animals. Yes. Are, I, you know, I don't have the. I mean, I assume, but you, there are some. Eric weird... Burden didn't show up because he had a gig that night at a bowling alley. <laughs> Is that really true? I'm pretty sure that's true. Was it at least like a big, nice bowling alley? <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> was it run by a rich guy who was paying him a lot of money? I'm not sure about that. But it was a paycheck, you know, so it was just, you know, that's one of the several no-shows through the years. Does he do like burden. special theme versions of Spill the Wine depending on the venue? <laughs> like, strike that pin? Like, yeah. does, is that is I that am possibly wrong on this whole bowling alley thing. It's a story that I've heard, but he didn't show up at least. <laughs> so he just made something up that was funny. I, I was yeah. told that once. It was possibly a joke that I heard like 20 years ago okay, that I believed, but it's not important. <laughs> we're practicing excellent journalism here yes. on, on Rolling Stone Music now. Yeah. But we're also going to play some audio. You spoke to a zombie or two zombies, but we're only going to play yeah. one zombie's audio. I spoke with Colin Bluntstone, and I've been talking to the new inductees for the past 10 years. I speak to almost everybody. He's the happiest one I've ever spoken to. Why? Because he's been waiting a very long time for this. They've been eligible for about 30 years. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make the case for the zombies and maybe explain also why it took so long. I think that the zombies are an overlooked band because they broke up before they got big in a strange way. That time of the season is their, is their biggest song, and they were broken up at the time it came out, so they couldn't capitalize it off of it. They made their best album, which was Odyssey and Oracle, the same time as Sgt. Pepper, and it sold nothing, and they broke up, and then slowly it became this huge cult classic. Yeah, Odyssey and Oracle, which is a great album, is one of those that uh, you know probably was appreciated as much by younger people many years later as it was by people at the time. It became right. sort of a you know. Yeah, it was big for Tom Petty and for Paul Weller, but not for people then. And time, <laughs> yeah, was, younger people like Tom Petty, but I mean, I mean, I also then he mean, was yes. a fan. <laughs> Right, I see. For very hip people at the time, yes. and then for critics many years later, especially when it was reissued and they did like a tour behind it. it well, right, it, which it, was it, recently. Yeah, it, it's become a thing, even an even bigger thing in the last, you know. Right, whereas you know. Time of the Season was a huge, it was like number one hit in 1969, and the band broke up a full year earlier. Killer song, though. It's fantastic. So let's hear your interview with Colin Blundstone, the lead vocalist for The Zombies, the very thrilled and appreciative Colin Blundstone of The Zombies, if we have that ready. Good to talk to you. Yeah, it's good to talk to you, and congrats on the big news. It's absolutely incredible, isn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm just thrilled. It's, it's wonderful news, wonderful news. To, you know, to first of all think that 330,000 people voted for us in the fan vote. And then, on top of that, to get um, the members voting for us as well. You know, peer group acceptance is such a wonderful thing for any artist, I think. And so it really is just um, incredible news. It's one of the most exciting days in my professional career, I think. Are you surprised you got in? Well, an interesting question. The thing is, this is our fourth nomination. Right. And 
I suppose there is a, a part of you that wonders if it can, if a nomination, if our nomination could ever turn into an induction. You do start to to doubt whether it could happen. Right. I mean, it's not the answer to your question, but I just say that what I've tried to do is to be fairly philosophical about it and and tell myself that if we don't get inducted, it's just a bit of fun, you know, so mm -hmm. don't take it too seriously. This is, it's just a, a light-hearted bit of fun. But of course, when you're actually inducted, everything changes. <laughs> right. And you think, this is a career-defining, a life-defining moment, you know. Yeah. And it kind of, to some degree, I, I think it kind of validates everything that we've done. Wow. Because especially, I, I feel that the first incarnation of the band that finished in 1967, mm. we perceived ourselves as being unsuccessful. Right. And I think that was you know, one of the main reasons that the, the band, everybody decided it was time to move on and, and get involved in new projects. It's only looking back, we realized that we always had a hit record somewhere. Right. It's just we were very naive, I think. And so it was a sad time in 1967 when the band finished. I was devastated. Yeah. Um, that included, there's been lots of ups and downs in this 50-year career. Yeah. But to see that the second incarnation of the band has managed to, to build up such a huge following, and basically it's through word of mouth. Um, you know, there hasn't been a lot of chart action in, in this so far in, in this second incarnation of the zombies career mm. it's really exciting and, and this is just the pinnacle to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yeah. I feel it's just such a wonderful um, a wonderful feeling for both incarnations of the band yeah. um, they're both wonderful people and great musicians from the band in the 60s and this band and mm. it's just a wonderful reward for all those ups and downs over the years. So that was uh, Colin Blundstone, the lead vocalist of The Zombies, who are finally getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he is an example of one of the reasons why the Hall of Fame f can be, why watching the ceremony or attending the ceremony can be kind of rewarding. Because when someone's like that, when they've had a long up and down career, and the example everyone always uses is like, you know, an old doo-wop guy or something like that. And he's he's had a little more success than that. But still, like when you feel that gratitude and when, when someone feels that their their entire sort of career has been given additional meaning by this honor, that's pretty cool. Yeah. He told me it was one of the best days of his whole life. And what happens to is a band like the Zombies, that they get so much more attention than they usually get, and they're on HBO playing, that they can book bigger shows, and they're streaming things like, you know, they have a huge spike. It's very good for a zombies type band to be in the Hall of Fame. And yeah, they, they should uh, talk to Radiohead and, and see how that uh, <laughs> see how that conversation goes. But another band that I think people didn't expect would get in is Roxy Music. Not for any lack of importance or greatness, but simply because they're such a British phenomenon. They're a little bit more of a, a critics phenomenon and culty phenomenon in the U.S. And ex exactly the kind of band that the old Hall of Fame voter base wouldn't vote for usually and yet here they are yeah it's a pretty surprising thing because in the states they had no real hit 
I mean, there's Avalon, there's their Jealous Kai cover, but these were minor hits. They were a real UK thing. So it's awesome, but it's sort of surprising. I think it really does say that the voter base has changed. It, it's a sign, that and a few other things, Janet, it's a sign that, that things are not going to be the same going forward. I think. Right. I think that they realized there couldn't be more and more years where it's Chicago and Steve Miller. They couldn't keep doing that. They had to enter into a better period. And this could be a real sea change year, which hopefully will lead to even more because Roxy Music are not a real Hall of Fame kind of band. You pointed out something amazing, The Cure are also getting in. Yeah. And there is a guy who is in both bands. Yeah, it's this guy, Michael Dempsey, was the founding bassist in The Cure. He left in 1979, which is very early. And then he rejoined Roxy Music. But there's so many damn bassists that were in Roxy Music, they took zero. (laughs) They, yeah, they, they, just, they just threw up their hands and have, uh, there's no basis being inducted. However, he is being inducted with The Cure. Yes. So it's yes. going to have an interesting night. It's a very strange night for him. Let's hear Love is the Drug by Roxy Music. Ain't no big thing to wait for the I hope, I hope these things open the door to all the sort of arty and British things that were considered too arty and too British to get into the Hall of Fame, which has had a frustrating lockdown on those things. Yeah, or even real popular groups that are, are like Depeche Mode or The Smiths or Joy Division and New Order. Yes, but they're seen, yeah. they were, they are very popular. Yes. But in the minds seemingly of, of the Hall voter base, we're probably yeah, seen as too arty and too British. I think in the Hall of Fame voter base, a group that's very reliant on synthesizers is suspect. That's it's a problem. Funny. You know, it drives me crazy that Kraftwerk aren't in. That's so crazy but back to roxy music (laughs) i think the big question will be brian eno yes yeah if he shows up and plays with them it'll be a really really big deal because i'm pretty sure that his last concert with them was in 1974 yeah that would be wild uh would also be wild if he's you know now he's like a professorial bald guy with with like literally when i interviewed him he had glasses on a string around his neck yeah uh back then he was like a this glam wild man it would be funny if he dressed up like yeah i in the same thing with tom york i can't see him at a podium crying being like thank you so much this means so much to me it's just i have a harder time seeing him there than seeing tom york i don't think he'll give two shits brian you know yeah you know it's it's, it's kind of nice actually i mean it is a backdoor induction for brian Eno, who certainly deserves to be in some way in the rock and roll hall of yeah fame. of course of course anyway we are talking about this year's rock and roll hall of fame inductions you're listening to rolling stone music now i'm brian hyatt i'm in the studio with andy green and we'll be right back Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm in the studio with Andy Green, and we're talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and this year's class. And we talked about Radiohead and Roxy Music and all sorts of stuff. But we actually have a member of The Cure you spoke to. Yes. And it's defined this member of The Cure's varying positions. It's and, sort of complicated. Yeah. This is Lowell Tolhurst, and he was the founding drummer, a childhood friend of Robert Smith, that he was the drummer between 77 or something and 81. Then he was the keyboardist from 81 till 89. He was credited on Disintegration, but he didn't actually play on it because he was drinking too much. Then they fired him. Then he sued them in the 90s. There's a nasty lawsuit over the name rights, but now they're friends again. And he was a guest keyboardist on their 2011 tour when they played the old album straight through. 
And his real name is Lawrence, because it's weird. His nickname is literally LOL. Yes. Which is and confusing, but yes, yeah, it was it's before. It's pronounced LOL. Yes, it's before. Yes. Yes. So anyway, let's, uh, <laughs> let's hear what he had to say. Congratulations on the big news. Oh, thank you very much. It's been a, been a bit of a surreal morning so far for me. Yeah, so walk me through it and tell me how you first learned about it. 7.30, my wife tapped me on the shoulder and told me she got a big surprise tell me. I thought maybe, maybe she's pregnant. You know, maybe I'm going to be a father again. But, you know, mm-hmm. There it was. And uh, she told me. So, yeah, ever since then, the phone and everything else has been going off, you know? Yeah, so tell me your first reaction. Just how do you feel in that moment? Um, I, I, it's going to sound strange. I think, you know, last year I was I was on the road with my book for the, the whole year, and I met so many Kill fans and so many people that that music had affected. It felt like it was like the perfect circle that it had come to a point where, not not to feel you know like I didn't assume that it was going to happen, but I kind of knew some you know like I had a precognition about it all that it was going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, it was just like oh yeah okay that's really cool and I and I, I just felt very very grateful you know in that moment I think. Do you think all you guys are going to play together? I don't know. You know, I'm sure I'll hear from Robert sooner or later about that. And uh, you know, if we do, we do, and if we don't, that'd be fine. I'll be happy to sit there and you know, watch what's going on. Yeah, yeah I would love a super jam on "Boys Don't Cry" with everybody, just past yeah. and present, cure all playing together. Yeah, you know, a lot of people have already. I've been looking at my you know, social media, of course. A lot of people already suggested that, and they've all suggested that. If we do that, or we, or we play, we used to do like this really long sort of improvisation at the end of uh, every set, which we sort of named Forever. And they said, you know, you should do Forever with everybody in the band playing all together at once, which would be, you know, quite horrendous probably, but yeah. you know, it could be fun. So how often do you speak to Robert Smith these days? Um, well, that's probably the last time I heard from him was probably about three or four weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, no, we're, we're in contact from time to time, yeah, and me and Simon, and I say uh, Michael I talk to quite a lot, uh, and Pearl Thompson, you know, from time to time, and Boris Williams. Yeah, so, you know, I, I keep I keep in touch. I'm sort of like the glue for the whole Cure family, I think, really. Yeah, it's a pretty wonderful thing, because I'm sure at the height of that lawsuit that, that you didn't think that would happen again, right? Right. You know, uh, and one thing I've I've learned, you know, because uh, in a matter of weeks I will be 60, which is probably more surreal than finding out, you know, we're in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I've learned that, that life is not really linear at all. You know, when, when you're a young man, you think life is like, okay, I get over this mountain, then let's get ready to climb another one, and let's get ready to climb another one. Life's not like that at all. Life is a sort of, uh, I found, is is a set of concentric circles, you know, mm. and uh, you sort of jump from one to the other. But you know, in the end, you come around to the same things, the same people, the same emotions, and uh, the cures no different. Which is probably why it's gone on for so long. You know? Yeah. And so, how are the 2011 shows for you uh, on an emotional level? I, I'm sure being back on that stage and playing those songs again was very intense. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was actually part of the impetus for me to write Cured, you know, because it was such a, a, an amazing emotional, it was, it was a transcendent journey, really, to, you know, like the first show down in uh, Sydney at the Opera House was really like an out-of-body experience for me, you know, and uh, it, was, it was beautiful, and I mean, you know, I can't really get any more sort of uh, 
hippified than that, really, which would probably, you know, would shock my uh, punk rock self, you know. <laughs> but it was, you know, but there again, I always think the punks are, you know, they, they're really actually just hippies in different clothes. But, you know, no, it was, it was wonderful. And it was really a good point in life to sit and do that kind of stuff and just reacquaint ourselves with each other. So, you know. Hopefully we'll do something like that again in the future. So that was uh, Lowell Tolhurst, right? Yes. <laughs> it's a name. I, I just don't feel comfortable, honestly, with that name. But <laughs> it's uh, who was both the drummer and keyboardist of The Cure and then subsequently sued for the name, and now everything's cool. Yes. Uh, the Onion had a great headline. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame rescinds nomination after discovering The Cure was voted in as cruel prank by popular kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which it is. There's something really cool about The Cure getting in. That they represent such a particular slice of music and pop culture. I love them. Yeah, and in the 80s, it was always the favorite band of the real loner kid at your high school. You know. On the other hand, when I talked to Robert Smith, I talked about the almost insane bipolar uh, dichotomy of his music. Mm-hmm. Like, the incredible lows and the joyous highs of Friday I'm in Love, uh, which is not only my favorite Cure song, but one of my favorite songs of all time. Right, which is from the 90s. It just shows how long they lasted. They've always been good. I saw them live a few years ago, and they played for what seemed like four and a half hours. They played like every song in their catalog. They tried to beat Springsteen's record recently, but they mistimed it, so they played four hours and three minutes, but they thought they beat 4-6, and he walked off stage furious when he found out. How was he even aware of Springsteen's record? That's he was, crazy. He was playing Mexico City, and somebody told him, he goes, screw it. I'm going to beat Bruce. <laughs> and then he tried so hard and he just missed it by accident. I love the idea that sweaty, pasty Robert Smith could just as easily outpace insanely fit like Superman Bruce. Yeah, a Cure concert is a, is a, is a strange thing these days. They never end. <laughs> I mean, he plays almost four hours at these shows. I think it's because he is, uh, you know, he's sort of like Drake. There are many cures, you know. Yeah. <laughs> there are, there are many, you know, he's, he's exactly, just to be Rob, Rob Sheffield for a minute. But yeah. I mean, it, it is true. Like the fact that there's the disintegration side and the other side is just it's just awesome and and he's also a super underrated guitar player and and let's hear friday i'm in love i don't care if monday's blue tuesday's gray and wednesday too thursday i don't care about you it's friday i'm in love also the fact that he you know he writes all these love songs about his wife and yeah, he, he's it's the a, same wife for 40 years. Yeah, he's the most normal monogamous guy in rock and look at him. It's, it's a great, I love all the, the weirdness there. And then another thing that's amazing that people don't know, uh, it used to be widely known, but Robert Smith and Morrissey have always hated each other. Yeah. There's a terrible rivalry there. Well, it's just that Robert Smith is a nice guy and Morrissey, who I love, is a huge dick. So it's not surprising. Yeah, but it is fun. I mean, people might think, I mean, there's obviously a kinship there, but it's just funny that they despise each other. Well, and The Cure got so much more popular and they stayed together, you know, so. The Smiths would actually be an obvious candidate for induction now that they're going in this direction, but he's yeah. he's been espousing some troublesome views. Might serve as a, an impediment to people voting him into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I would definitely think so. He's very unpopular at the moment, though the Smiths are hugely popular, but not amongst Hall of Fame voters and they haven't existed for so damn long. If The Cure can get in, The Smiths can get in. I think they can and they should, but The Cure on their last tour, they did three nights at the Garden sold out. They remain a massive band in this country. If The Smiths were to reunite, I imagine they could also do three nights at, at Madison Square Garden. But yes, anyway, of course. Def Leppard getting in is, as you said uh, earlier, it's part of this 
another strain of, of uh, newness at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is populism. There, there are sort of these populist favorites getting in. Bon Jovi, Journey. Uh, kiss and, yeah kiss so this is this is very much in that vein although Def Leppard were always a little bit more critically acclaimed and uh you know their hits are as good as anything they, they certainly owe a lot to Mutt Lang the, we were joking off air that if Janet is getting in and Def Leppard are getting in Mutt Lang and Jam and Lewis right. the, the respective producers should both get in but then you pointed out that Janet has had lots of hits with many producers whereas Def Leppard it's tend, all Mutt Lang yeah, yeah they tend to have hits with, with Mutt Lang I think that a real curse for Def Leppard is they happen to peak at the same moment that hair metal was peaking and they were lumped into the poison type bands which they say is deeply unfair and it, it drives them crazy, but they're always dismissed as just hair metal when they're really not. No, they're not hair metal at all. I mean, I think they were an influence on, on some hair metal bands, but they were also generally better uh, than them. And it is funny, their pre-Muttling albums are just like pure sort of like riff rock. Yeah. And if they weren't quite Greta Van Fleet, but they were just sort of like R-A-W-K rock before uh, Mutt Lang got their hands on them. But, I mean, I will say, having talked to, to Joey Elliott and stuff, I mean, they, their appreciation for pop music is notable. You know, yeah. their listening habits, it wasn't just Mutt Lang because in the 80s and even now, they were listening to all sorts of pop music and that's what led to their hit-making run as much right. as anything is that they were, and you know, even now, they they were saying how much they love Janet Jackson, which is great, you know, and they yeah. They played with Taylor Swift years ago. So that's, it's not just mud. It's actually their non-sort of raucous sensibility. Their appreciation for a pop hook is what helped get them to, to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. and But their favorite thing is just glam rock. They yes. were teenagers then, and they look at T-Rex uh, and Mata Hoople as just gods. If anything, they're how the influence of glam rock made its way into hair metal. Right. Not calling them hair metal, but in the sense that they were an influence on hair metal. Mm -hmm. uh, so they were important, and they absolutely belong in the Hall of Fame, as does uh, Janet Jackson, who uh, you know took a few years, but we, we have her. And uh, she, listen, her hits stand up. My favorite is some of the later stuff, but all the early stuff, Control, all that stuff kills. Yeah, it's a strange thing that she had more hits than almost anybody in the 80s and you hear very few of them th these days I'm always baffled by just like where is Control and Black Cat and these enormous songs and even Rhythm Nation that aren't on the radio much now and Black Cat of course was a total hair metal song yes. you know, which is very funny and you know as was a song like Scream with Michael total rock like kind of an semi-industrial yeah. thing right and same with if i think that she was fantastic it's so many great songs it just post super bowl there's just weird things happen where she's been like just cast aside well i think this is the uh, the cementing her comeback not that she really had anything to come back to justin timberlake was really the problem there <laughs> but you know or not or at least if justin didn't face any consequences why should she have yeah. But I will say one thing I don't give very much thought to is just this issue of like, oh, it's called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Does Janet belong? It just sort of, it, it just doesn't it's, bug it's me. It's stupid. It's tired. It's cliche. Oh, but it should be the Disco Hall of Fame if you're bringing in Donna Summer. It should be the Rap Hall of Fame. No, the word rock is extremely expansive. And then the interesting thing is the critique has started to come from the other side, which is it's offensive to pop to act like it's a great honor to call them rock. Like mm -hmm. rock isn't the be all end all. And it's just like, all right, whatever. You know, it's just like I can actually see the merits in the argument, but I, it just doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I don't know why. Yeah, no, I'm not bothered at it in the least. It's ridiculous that people get so angry about Madonna being in the Hall of Fame. Who cares, you know? So my single favorite Janet song is uh, That's the Way Love Goes. So maybe let's hear that for a second. 
did all the whispers in the left and right channel. So, you I know, know. I'm going to do, do an oral history of like I was the guy who whispered. That's the way <laughs> yeah. love goes on, on, on the Genesis. And she bridged decades because that's a super 90s song and she was a real 80s icon yeah, too. I, 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 lo- I love the 90s songs by all these people. You know? right, I'm, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play Let's Get Rock by Def Leppard next. That is not my favorite <laughs> Def Leppard song. The 90-92 Def Leppard, which, which was huge. They when had that, that awful cartoon they video. They were on the cover of Rolling Stone. Yeah, and they had that cartoon video that kind of looked like the animated segments in uh, the Dire Straits song. So it's uh, it's strange, but I guess it was considered modern because it was kind of computery. But uh, yeah, and this was the peak of grunge, and they were still kind of doing it. And there's also Stevie Nicks, and you know Stevie Nicks has just Fleetwood Mac has carried over to a new generation, and certainly Stevie has become an icon to a whole new generation. And, uh, you know, the award, uh, you know, her soul work is great. but And I think the award is, is as much for being Stevie as it is for the precise content of her soul work. It's not for this album or that album. It's for like, hey, you're Stevie Nicks apart from Fleetwood Mac and you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I, I don't think anyone was kind of measuring the quality of, of her soul albums, although they're this great soul work. Yeah. And she's now the first woman to be in twice. I think overall, it's uh, it's capping off a very rough year for Lindsey Buckingham. Oh yeah, I think poor Lindsey, who who is not uh, doesn't seem to be you know on the verge of getting in as a solo artist in his own right, uh, is probably you know, can't help feeling a, a touch of uh, you know not to put feelings in his uh, head, eh. but I can't imagine that he's eh. you know super thrilled about it's, this turn of events. It's the final twist of the knife, and they throw him out. They announce a tour, still sells out, playing to huge audiences. They have Neil Finn singing his songs. They have Mike Campbell playing his parts. And most people in the audience don't even care. And now she gets in twice at the end of the year. Well, Stevie's great. Lindsay, also very talented. Of course. But that's the way, you know, love goes. (laughs) (laughs) In a moment, I'm going to get... Joel Parisman, CEO of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on the phone. Joel, do we have you? Yes, you do, Brian. Good morning, good afternoon. How you doing? I'm well. It's nice to be talking about something that's interesting and fun like this, like we started off with yesterday at Sirius. So how do you feel about this class? It's always, uh, you know, you're not in control. Ultimately, the voters provide you with a class. And it's not unlike, I talked to the guys who plan the Grammy show. To a certain extent, they're given, <laughs> they're given a set of facts and then have to make a show out of it. So uh, given that, like, how, how do you feel about this class and, 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 well, and with the show it's going to make? You know, we're in a similar situation. You know, it obviously it's not a large and diverse thing as, the Grammys have to deal with, but, you know, we deal with what we're given as far as who the inductees are. But in this case, you know, I always feel that we have a real, especially this year, I think we have a really terrific class that really brings something for everybody. And also, from our standpoint, we look at things that people have kind of criticized us in the past for not addressing or being aware, not, I don't know if aware is the right word, but being cognizant of, of some genre, certain genres of artists that, you know, this is a time for them to being inducted. So the feedback that we've gotten since we announced yesterday has been very, very positive, and I think it'll make for a great evening. It seems like the, there's been proactive steps taken to uh, diversify the voter base uh, to work towards, you know, broader results. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, like any institution, you really kind of have to evolve with how times and tastes change. And as you're getting on in time of when artists become eligible, which is 25 years from their first release, you really have to look and try to be aware of who your voters are. 
so we constantly look at our larger group of voters and even the nominating committee as well, but mostly at the larger group of voters, which right now is a little over a thousand people that's made up of past inductees, it's made up of artists, it's made up of writers, critics, and others who really have a deep and diverse knowledge about music. We're not looking for people that have one skill set. We're looking for people that have a wide variety of, of interests. And over the years, we've looked at that and started, you know, reached out to people that I might not know or others on our committee might know for people to make recommendations of young people in the music business, young writers, young artists, to become voters because they grew up at a different time and place and have different influences that we want to tap into. And I think it shows. I, I think that, you know, I don't know if Roxy Music would have gotten in before. And it's uh, and it, like you said, in general, the, the reaction to the class has been better in, than in, in some years. There also, this year, you, you took in seven instead of five. Can you talk a little bit about how that uh, decision came to be? Yeah, the voting process, once we get see how the voting is coming in, by board decree, you know, we can put anywhere in from five to seven or eight inductees. And in the past, we've had some side categories of musical excellence and early influence and a non-performer category. But a lot of times it comes down to how tight the vote is, whether we put five in, whether we put six in, or this year in seven. And because the votes were that close, I mean, between the first and the seventh vote were incredibly tight. And then there was a natural gap between the seventh place and the eighth place. So it really created kind of a natural break, and we took a you know, look at it, unless the results from Palm Beach County aren't in yet, but then it's too late. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff that people don't get to see is, you know, you're, you're dealing with complex personalities, sometimes, you know, bands whose own members hate each other. Uh, you know, that may not be the case this year as much as other years, but, you, but you've got to put on this show, you've got to try to get everyone to show up who as many as you can and you've got to figure out if there can be a jam and all that kind of stuff so what's that like and how stressful is it to deal with all that well i've always equated it to trying to plan a wedding for two divorced families right most a lot of the time because when you think about it you have a lot of these bands be inducted have been together for 50 years you know 40 years in times and you know you as it's, it's sometimes tough enough for a husband and wife to get along for that time let alone a group of eight artists in one band, or four artists in one band, especially when there's bands that have evolved over time and had a variety of members. But, you know, what we hope for, and what, what happens 95% of the time, is that people look at the moment and realize, you know, this isn't a Grammy nomination or a People's Choice Award or something. This is something that happens one time. You're being elected kind of by your peers. You're being recognized and being... in put into an institution that includes some of the most iconic artists in in history of rock and roll, from Elvis Presley and Fats Domino to Rolling Stones and many, many others, that really were the you know, foundation of the music business that inspired these artists that are being inducted. So you you hope that they can focus on that and hope that they can focus on no matter how bad the feelings are, a lot of times internally that they can put it aside for one night, realize that the fans want to see this, and then, then the next night hopefully go back to their neutral corners. And are you getting any sense of uh, who's attending or how, or at least how's it, how it's going as far as getting everyone to attend? Well, not yet. I, mean, I, I think you know, we've reached out. We've pretty much talked to everybody. Everybody's very excited about it. I, mean, I think you've seen some of the interviews that are out there and the comments that are people made. But you know, we're kind of 
let people know when it is, what the date is, what we do for you know what we'll do for them, how, where we're looking for because there's other things that we do besides pre- you present an induction ceremony. We also have a museum, you know, fabulous museum in Cleveland. We do an exhibit that's up for a year that features artifacts from all of the new class of inductees. So all our our curators reach out to them to be able to start collecting things to be able part of that and just to try to educate these you know the inductees about what it is we do it's just not a one time a year event we have a museum that does exhibits it has educational programs and now they're part of this so you try to give them as much information as they can what was the the craziest year for you i mean there was a lot of drama the year of kiss for instance that was nuts and i was deeply embroiled in that but what what was the most nuts for you looking back I can't think anyone's really nuts because, you know, every year kind of presents its challenges, you know, whether it was Kiss, you know, are they coming, are they not coming, are they going to play, they're not going to play, <laughs> you know, Van Halen was the year that I think Eddie wasn't well and, you know, they couldn't make it for a variety of reasons and should they induct this guy and is David Lee Roth coming and he wasn't going to come, then he was going to, you know, it's just, yeah, I've been in the music business a long time, so really kind of nothing really kind of throws me off. You kind of only kind of expect it, and you just kind of, you got to roll with it and deal with people's personalities the best you can. Yeah, I mean, you know, and then it, it's funny. I mean, Axel wrote that letter, that long letter about how, you know, Bill never, <laughs> he will he will never reunite with, with Guns N' Roses. The very idea is offensive to him, and so, so a lot of right. the, <laughs> you know, that year, you know, Getting having lawyers saying that we can't use the name Guns N' Roses up until like the afternoon of the show, and you know it's like you do what you do. People are going to sue us. They're going to sue us. We, we we do what we do. You know, we, like I said, vast majority of the time, people understand. I'm not enormity is the right word, but the significance of it, the significance of the moment, and hopefully can just do it. And I and I find that happens. I find. You know, people can piss and moan, and I want this, and how come this one is inducted with me, and I want this person to do this, and I want that. And then when they get there that night, and they see the way we produce the show, and cre- and how classy it is, and how respectful it is, and how it really they, pays. They just kind of roll with it, yeah. So, Joel, Joel Parsman, thank you so much uh, for joining us. This has been today's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame show for Rolling Stone Music Now. And I'm Brian Hyatt, and I was in the studio with Andy Green. We'll be back next week here on SiriusXM's Volume Channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast. Maybe leave us a nice review on iTunes if we can. And thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.